Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, 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 look who's back. Me, I'm back after a, a very brief hiatus here. Um, well, I guess it was only about a week. It's been back and forth. It's it's confusing. It's the podcast time warp because Remzo and I were recording stuff some days. We're publishing stuff weeks later. Sometimes we're recording stuff that's airing after the stuff we recorded. It's very confusing, but it's very much ties into today's concept of time travel. But before we get into that, Remzo, what's up, buddy? Newly betrothed. Nobody took advantage of hashtag Mexic- find Mexican Mark. Nobody did. They messaged me. They're like, is he in Ukraine? Is he here? Is he there? I'm like, go put it on Twitter. That's the point of the game. And you bastards failed. But yes, I uh, I am back from my honeymoon. Finally. You know, we, we were just getting engaged around uh, episode 20 of the show. And, you know, like you guys get seven- to live. You get to see Ramza's life play out in real time. Yeah, it's kind of weird when you when you realize that most of your life is cataloged in audio. But yeah, no, we, we went ahead and spent a beautiful week in St. Augustine, uh, Florida for our honeymoon. The weather was nice. The food was amazing. The history was so much fun. And uh, we, we got to spend a, a lot of, uh, you know, up close and personal time together, because many of you know, we were long distance while I was in Wisconsin. So uh, what, what's funny and Mark, just and like talking, us, Remzo, a long, you had a couple of long distance relationships in your life. Uh, but uh, now, now it's down to one. Yeah, <laughs> Now it's down to one. But like, uh, you know, as, as you and I were talking about before the show, like my parents live in it, live in northern Virginia. So over the past year, I have been trying to liquidate a lot of my collection because they're like, get this stuff out. And uh, my gosh, the the number of comic books, Mark, I'll, I'll actually have to send you a photo of this because my brother has not only occupied my room. He, he's he's a he's a grad student at George Mason University, but he also went ahead and redecorated our basement. And I'm not shitting you. Oh, uh, Across from me, above our couch, he put up an Avengers memorial wall for all the dead Avengers. 
and it's just dead in in what in what timeline dead in the mcu so (laughs) iron man black widow scarlet witch got put up after multiverse of Mm -hmm. madness i I don't think she belongs there but whatever spoiler alert well, I mean, he has he has Steve Rogers there probably because uh, you know we both admire Chris Evans, uh, you know, beautiful beard from Infinity War. I don't know why Cap's there, but yeah, no, he has the Avengers um, uh, memorial wall, and then at the end of it is a giant cinema-sized Avengers Endgame poster. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, if I wasn't a nerd, I would totally be like, why the hell do you have that up? But it's there. All right, well, I you know. For people that want to hear all of our thoughts on the entirety of the MCU, you can click back just two episodes. We've been doing, uh, I guess it's not even technically summer yet, but we're still calling it our summer vacation series, mostly just because Remzo and I both have crazy, crazy stuff going on in our lives. So we decided to just pre-record a few, a few episodes that are a little bit off format. We did our MCU ranking a couple weeks ago. And last week we had that awesome interview with your uncle, a little, little old school comic book origin story. So a lot of, uh, a lot of. I don't want to say changes, but we're mixing some things up here at SPC and we might mix some things up more in the future because it's our show. So we'll do whatever we want, <laughs> but mostly we're, we're here to do what you guys want. And we, we really do go respond to all the feedback we get, especially from the feedback of, of course, of our patrons. Cause if you, if you send us money, let's be honest, you're, you're more important than, than the regulars. So you can do that. Of course, at patreon.com slash second print pod, where you get not just exclusive access to us through the second print fan zone, Facebook group, but also of course you get all the amazing bonus content. Remzo, Remzo versus the MCU. Uh, I will soon be, I promise, returning to wrap up my deep dive on the Ultimate Fantastic Four. It's just gotten a little, well, let's just say it's not flying as much as it used to. And you're in the dark <laughs> ages of the Ultimate Fantastic Four Oof. run. I feel bad because now you get to experience what I felt in real time collecting that book month to month in the in the mid 2000s. It's like a relationship where, you know, the, the dating period is amazing, fantastic. Everything's going great. And then the second you go steady, it just is a disaster. And I felt like the second I decided to go steady with Ultimate Fantastic Four, the second I started to like the series and really got get into it is when it just went completely downhill. It's like it knew. It's like they knew they had me. They knew I was committed. So no turning back. But check all that out behind the old paywall. Patreon.com slash second print pod. Also coming soon. Obi-Wan Kenobi recaps. In fact, they should already be out by the time you're you're hearing this one. I'm in the time warp, too. I always get confused when things are airing. That's all she wrote, folks. Yes. All right. Good night. Thanks, thanks for joining us <laughs> this week. Uh, like I said, we're changing the format. which just a quick recap and then we sign off. Now, uh, today we are going to be looking at another story from one of our fantastic patrons, our one of our Kirby Club members, uh, the $50 a month level over on our Patreon. Patreon.com slash second print pod this is our kirby club level patron our very first one eric my the person that actually introduced me to comics uh which we've talked about with him a couple times uh but today he's sending us on i actually kind of like how he set this up he's got us doing three you know eric is a big x-men fan uh and he has sent us down three issues of the x-men i kind of like how he laid this out he, he set us up with uncanny x-men number 14 and then uncanny x-men number 141 and 142 which i think is man it's like 15 years later um that, that those take place and there is a reason for this and now we will look at these episodes these episodes i'm doing it again already right so I, it's I good to have you back, I can't Mark. I missed, yeah. I missed the regular faux pas between issues and episodes. Exactly. This is how we know I'm all the way back. Uh, but we're going to start off. We're going to start off by going back in time to the 1960s with Uncanny X-Men number 14. Um, and uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, this uh, the reason we're looking at this one will, will become more and more relevant uh, as we go along here. But I like that Eric set us up this way because... This issue is uh, I, I love reading the the old school stuff, the really old school uh, Silver Age stuff. And this one has you know, a couple big names attached to it written by Stan Lee and art by 
Jack Kirby. So just off the bat, I, I'm always excited when I'm when I'm reading some old school Lee and Kirby. What about you? Oh, I, I I always think of his voice from the Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends cartoon where he intros the show and he's like, fear not, true believers. Spidey and his amazing friends are meeting the X-Men this week. Oh, by Lord, what uncanny evil and villainy will they be facing today? Will our heroes succeed? I can just hear it right there, right now, whenever I open up something that Stanley himself wrote. Indeed, indeed. So we're going to dive into this issue. Again, this puppy is from 1965. And this one starts off as many, many X-Men issues start off. Now, of course, this is the old school original X-Men team. Ramza, you want to give us the roll call? Can you do it without looking? We've got Beast. We've got Archangel. We've got Cyclops. We've got Iceman. We've got Jean Grey and Professor X. The only correction I'll make for you is that... He's not actually Archangel here. He's Angel. He's just regular old Angel. The arc only comes later, later down the road. Uh, But yes, this is the original X-Men lineup with um, somewhat creepy, depending on your perspective, Professor X sort of guiding these, uh, these, um, you know, superpowered teenagers. But uh, here the X-Men are just recovering from their battle with the Juggernaut, who they finally defeated last issue. So that's exciting. You can check out Uncanny X-Men number 13 to check that one out. Of course, you can find all of these on the fantastic Marvel Unlimited app, which we do not get any commission for promoting to you, but we do enjoy it greatly, even though we're still should pay us. I'm still, they really should. And I'm still a little upset. They took away the random Marvel comic uh, button, which uh, also saw the end of the Ram- random Marvel comics podcast on Patreon. So blame Marvel for that. Um, but somehow professor X just, not only is he a mutant and a professor and all this stuff, he's also apparently a, a, a world-class doctor. Cause he knows exactly how to build machines to, to rehabilitate all the X-Men uh, based on their various powers uh, from this battle with a juggernaut. Uh, so we get kind of a few pages of the, them just kind of recovering, doing some danger room stuff uh Iceman is is recuperating in a in like a nice bucket <laughs> it's it's pretty basic stuff here but uh just what what did you do what i just want to get your overall impression on this is it's somewhat formulaic the way we see the x-men like almost every issue starts off with them in the danger room or professor x you know tweaking with their powers but what do you just think overall of this early x-men lineup and sort of the the relationship between these um, these powered teenagers and professor x well, I mean, they were a lot more antagonistic because they were younger, like they tease each other a lot more. I mean, we we tend to think of the 90s um, roster from the animated series as being like the crew with the most like chemistry and the best bantering and stuff like that. But this one, it, it's like they, they all they all seem kind of more like misfits. And that's what I like about this younger teenage, um, you know, like year one type of X-Men story, especially when you just see like they're so different than how they are now. Like Beast doesn't even have have his fur he doesn't look cat like mm-hmm. at all um i, I mean gene gray still cat, looks like i think the cat beast is like only a mid-2000s thing or only a 2000s it, it came out with uh with, with joss whedon's astonishing x-men yeah i actually kind of like the look of it even though i don't understand why he had to start looking like a cat did something happen or did he just start looking like a cat his his mutation so remember he he him being a mutant only made him beast-like in human form. So how he is in this early era of X-Men before he turns blue is how his mutation actually was. He actually tried to cure his mutation. And what that formula ended up doing was it accelerated his mutation, not only giving him the blue fur that we know from, you know, 
the the classic look of Beast that we've all come to know and love, but it began to aggressively develop over time. So that way he looked more like an animal as we've gotten to the point where we are now, where he almost has no human features. At one point uh, in the Astonishing X-Men run by Joss Whedon, Beast actually says he, he thinks he's losing his humanity. Like sometimes he thinks and acts like an animal and it's getting harder and harder for him to control it, especially with the fact that when people used to look at him, they would still see a man trapped behind all the fur, whereas now they're like, he looks he looks more like his namesake. He looks more like a beast. And that was all because of uh, of of Hank's own doing, which is really sad. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, yeah, but but basically, you know, they spend a few uh, pages recovering and then, you know, after literally like five seconds of talking, they're fine. And then um, but some good news for the X-Men. They've been through a lot. So Professor X, he's not just a professor. He's not just a doctor. He's also a, uh, a travel planner because he has planned a vacation for for his uh, his X-Men here. So they're all very, very excited that they're getting getting the week off, getting the week off being uh, being superpowered mutants. But in the meantime, there's some other stuff going on here, some other stuff going on in the background here. And uh, there is a press conference being held by this fellow by the name of Bolivar Trask. Let's start here. Remzo, what can you tell me about Bolivar Trask? Bolivar Trask is a racist. What a name, Bolivar. It's like they want him to be Oliver, but then they're like, no, not Oliver. Let's add a B on the front. Bolivar Trask is a racist. He's a freaking racist. What more do you need to know? Now, Bolivar Trask uh, was a billionaire industrialist who also happens to be a racist. So what he These did things was, often go hand in hand. Yes. Yeah. So what he wants to do is to fight the mutant threat, because as a human supremacist, he feared that, um, you know, uh, I, I forget what Magneto calls them, like. I forget the term because he is homo superior. He, he believes that homo yeah, superior yeah. will replace homo sapiens as the dominant species on earth and enslave humanity. So what he did was he went ahead and created the um, Sentinel program, which is funded partially by the U S government. And they were basically given license to deploy their Sentinels to kill and capture mutants. Indeed. And that is uh, basically what Bolivar Trask is doing here. He is uh, introducing this concept of the Sentinels. Uh, well, yeah, we, we don't see them yet. We just know that he's he's got a plan and he's he's really spreading propaganda basically about about the mutant menace. Uh, so we'll get back to the Sentinels. Spoiler alert. Sentinels on the way. If the guy from Amazon Bezos, if Bezos became like, you know, a huge eugenicist overnight, he, he, this is probably what it would look like. Indeed. So, uh, in the, meanwhile, the, uh, the X-Men, I, I find this kind of entertaining. The X-Men are like getting dressed up in their human costumes. I guess you could say like they're taping up, uh, angels wings so that they're, they're held down. So you can just wear like regular human clothes and beast is like, I, I never, is it Jerry rigging, Jerry rigging? I don't even know what this phrase is that I'm trying to say. Um, but he's trying to do that to, to shoes, to, to make shoes big enough that he can fit. And of course, Cyclops, his costume is just, I wear these red glasses, the, the Ruby quartz glasses that, so are his eyes always spraying that lasers? And then it's only like, what I don't understand is that they're so powerful. I get when he has that visor. Why don't on, okay? they push off his Ray-Bans? That, that's what I'm saying. Yes. I get when the visor's on, maybe it's, it's so tight that it, it doesn't do that, but. Except that it's stupid. Well, I, we know the reason, Remzo, right? Yeah, because, because comics. comics. Yes, exactly. So moving on, we'll move on. Yeah, but they are, uh, I don't think they're even going anywhere particular on vacation. Like, they're just going out for some reason. Oh, yeah, this is before they're really, uh, that Scott, oh, yeah, that's right. Scott and uh, 
Scott and Jean are not a thing yet, although he clearly likes her. Jean is going out on a date, or I don't know if they're calling it a date, but she's going out in the town with Warren Worthington, aka Angel. I always forget like the different dynamics uh, that were going on. Even like also whenever I read early, very early Fantastic Four, I forget that they were like trying to have a thing where like Ben was going after Sue, and that was like a part of the whole thing. And you forget that this is like a big thing in, in the Silver Age. Like whenever there was there was never like a straightforward relationship. There was always just like a woman that four guys were. <laughs> <laughs> trying to date at once <laughs> it's very much a silver age staple i'd say yeah that wouldn't happen today in current comics that's problematic no of course not no now um, what you have is them all living in the same house as a throuple yeah, yeah. because that shit's better yes a quadruple and uh so then um you know professor x is seeing uh, goes back he's seeing these headlines about the mutant menace uh from from bolivar tracks propaganda here i find this really funny there's one panel where they show a page in the newspaper and it shows artist interpretation of the fate of mankind if mutants are not driven out as predicted by bolivar trask and it just shows this like mutant looking creature just whipping humans as they carry bricks <laughs> i just found this whole sequence funny this this artist rendition of what's going to happen if we don't take care of the mutant problem right away <laughs> what did you think of that scene you know nothing like good old propaganda yes indeed uh so you know professor x seeing this you know this prompts him to action because he's like no someone's got to speak speak up for the mutants here so he he picks up the phone and i guess he's just a world-renowned professor now now in this ver- iteration of the x-men Professor X just runs a regular school for students. Like no one knows that these students are are mutants. No one knows he's a mutant. He's just some professor in a wheelchair. So I guess he's somewhat prestigious. So he's able to get himself on at this press conference to sort of provide um, a counterbalance to Bolivar Trask's uh, you know billionaire racism type stuff. Um, so he's he's at this press conference, kind of just defending uh, you know defending mutants and basically saying like you can't judge them all together. We can't just you know treat them as as a menace. Like we're all sort of part of the same society. You know, lovey dovey peace type stuff. And then Bolivar Trask is like, yeah, good idea, Professor, except no, because they're going to kill us all and enslave us. Didn't you see my art, my artist rendition? <laughs> um, so without even much prompting, Bolivar's like, look, I'll demonstrate. I have a solution. I got a, I got a demonstration here for you. It's the Sentinels. And what shows up like this? I laughed so hard. At, I, I don't. I don't know if I've ever read this issue before. Maybe I did back in the day, but I, if I did, I totally forgot how silly these original Sentinels looked. <laughs> what did you, they almost look like they're out of, um, well, it's Jack Kirby. So it makes sense. They kind of look like they're out of Kirby's Eternals, just the way like their, their heads are shaped, you know? I, I always thought they reminded me more of like the generic costumed goons from like the Power Rangers. It's <laughs> yeah, like, it yeah. looks like a human wearing a costume. Like the, yes. the Sentinels deserve more to be at Chuck E. Cheese than like, you know, leading the mutant holocaust. These ones don't even look that big. They're like the, the Sentinels we know are like, you know, super, super giants. These just look like a little bit taller than humans, basically. And they all yeah. have numbers on them. There's like Sentinel number six, Sentinel number three. They, they've very, got very like funny. this Down syndrome aesthetic to them. <laughs> can no I say that? You. I said that. You can say that. Yeah, we're we're obviously not getting canceled. We've, we've tried everything. We've tried the gongs. We've tried uh, these are the special <laughs> needs of Sentinels. <laughs> they really are. I require so just, a nap now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Sentinels definitely uh, get improved. I find this funny, though, because, I mean, this, this kind of portends a little bit of what we'll see, you know, with the rest of the story when we, when we skip forward here. Uh, but it does not take long for Bolivar Trask to be like, Sentinels, you know, sh- you can obey my command. And the Sentinels are like, well, no, we're the Sentinels and our brain is superior to your brain. Our strength is superior. We serve none. We are the Sentinels. So already these this first round of the Sentinels, they're already turning against their master and they blast Bolivar Trask because the problem with the Sentinels is they're they're programmed to, you know, take care of threats and 
take care of mutants. But what always ends up happening is that they're, it's like an Ultron thing, you know, that where they're like, Oh, well the best way to do this thing you want us to do is us, is us for us to take over and us to be in charge. Cause we're smarter robots and you're just some person. The racist robots killed their racist leader. Yeah. They, they, they don't kill Bolivar Trask, but, uh, but he is kind of taken out. And of course this prompts professor X to use his, uh, super mighty mutant powers to call on the X-Men. It's a condition red, which I think means come at once and, and hurry the, hurry the hell up. So, uh, the X-Men are at, uh, this, uh, this ball or this party or, you know, oh, they're, oh no, they're, it looked like a party. They're at coffee. A go-go is where the beast and Iceman uh, are. That's where, that's where they go when they, when they, when they're ready to party in Greenwich is coffee, a go-go. This is where they're spending their vacation. These guys. Um, yeah, I can't I, I, wait I, to vote for <laughs> Richard Nixon. <laughs> this is going to be great. Uh, but yes, they, they get the call first. Um, really, they should all get the call at the same time. You would think, but that these are the ones we see responding to the call first. Um, I, I always enjoy when Iceman just makes a little slide and then they slide from building to building. Uh, it seems kind of dangerous. Like, I feel like that's not the most stable situation, just sliding on newly created ice. Like, but you know, it, it seems to work out for them. They seem to be having fun. I, I, I always really do enjoy like the, the early iterations of Iceman because they really just basically just make slides. <laughs> well, he also doesn't, he also just doesn't look like he's just made a snow like he did in the first couple issues of, of the, mm-hmm. of uncanny X-Men where he's just like mm-hmm. a walking snowman of boots. Right. <laughs> um, so basically what happens here, you know, the, the, the Sentinels, they, they capture Trask, uh, and, and they're, they're basically just, you know, they're ready to take over but professor X can't use his powers, um, because you know, he, he wants to, no, he is, he is using his powers. I should say, actually, he's, he's, he can't use them directly, but he's using them to try to calm the minds of uh, the brains of everybody in the studio so that they don't panic. And meanwhile, Bolivar Trask just is like, screw this. No giant robot is going to capture me. And he tries to run away. And Professor X actually, like the Sentinels try to kill Trask and he, um, Professor X like uses his mind powers to like make Trask fall. So he doesn't hit, um, you know, doesn't get hit by the, the Sentinel lasers. That's you know, very, very nice of Professor X. Now, this guy's like basically wants to destroy his whole race literally and enslave them. And he's saving his life. So, you know, that's, it's a, one of the nice things about Professor X. He's willing to let bygones be bygones pretty fast. Um, Beast and Iceman then show up. They do Beast and Iceman things, uh, which are not incredible. Well, at least Beast is not very effective. He just kind of bounces off the Sentinel. And then uh, Bobby, Iceman, is able to take one of them out and make him slip on ice, which is nice. So yeah, that ice has, the ice has several, uh, several, several qualities that, uh, that, that it can be used for here. But, uh, moving on, we, uh, get a Cyclops shows up now here again. It's not clear. So he's in this taxi, you know, cause he, he didn't get to hang out with Gene Gray. He's just in a taxi alone and he blasts through the roof of the taxi to, to shoot this. These guys have really no. Oh, so the roof is, the roof is not impervious to his eye blast, but his red ray bands are okay. I guess so. Yeah. Cause it does look like he was lifting. Cause it looks like he was like putting them back on. So I guess he, he lifts them up when he, when he uses his powers, I'm not really sure, but whatever. Uh, anyway, they're showing up and now all the, uh, the X-Men, uh, minus, uh, Gene and Gene and Angel are still not there, but we're just getting a, you know, a big old kind of classic X-Men battle, uh, with the Sentinels. They do manage to take one of them out. Um, but in the end here, professor X, you know, they, they kind of like defeat this, these versions of the Sentinels and, and then Trask wakes back up and he's like, you know, what, what the hell happened here? And Professor X is like, oh, we're all safe. The X-Men showed up. That's weird. I don't know them at all, but they did show up and uh, the Under Sentinels just ran off. Oh, I'm sorry. They, they I, I was wrong here. The Sentinels took Trask. This was some other guy that was just there asking, asking what happened. So the Sentinels have now captured their, their master. So the X-Men 
led by Angel, is following them uh, to just sort of, uh, I don't know, try to try to capture them basically and to try to catch up to uh to what these sentinels are doing um finally the, you know this is where angel and jean gray joined the fray they were on some trip on a on a train who, who knows where they were going and uh they they leave the train to go chase after the sentinels uh, meanwhile professor x is kind of like um he's back in the tv studio sort of they're like he's like analyzing one of the sentinels and, and trying to you know figure out uh what makes them tick and eventually they basically track that they're all going to this one other area uh this one other particular area um, at the end of the day, this this issue ends. We're not going to go further on this story because we're going to get to our, our main main series here. Eric just really added this one to to get us the introduction of the Sentinels, but they basically end up following them to this area, and then um, this. I, th- I think what they're end up following them to is the Master Mold. Which the is, Master uh, you know, Mold. Yes. So that, I that's always what feel like I have to say that when we see Master Mold. Master Mold. But yeah, this issue ends with basically this entire compound raising out of the ground as uh, you know the the X Men are not going to be done with the Sentinels just yet. But this version of the Sentinels is pretty short lived. I will say the version we're about to see a little more intimidating what do you think uh a tad bit i mean they went from down syndrome to hitting creatine pretty fast yeah 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 no they, they definitely uh they definitely hit the muscle milk up asap so uh we're now going to move on to the the really the crux of the the what we're going to look at today which is the classic 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 x-men tale days of future past before we get into that, what did you just think of briefly of the introduction of the Sentinels overall? I, I think they do a really good job of painting like why they're doing this. And what you see is that um, the X-Men, unlike other superhero teams, they're not dealing with people who are outwardly villainous to the rest of the world. They're not fighting a Lex Luthor, a Brainiac, something like that. They're fighting uh, oftentimes their government. They're fighting people who... Uh, at times, according to just the general homo sapien public, might even be considered good guys. So they get into a lot of political and subcultural context that you won't find in other Marvel books, but you won't really see in the comic book industry at large. I mean, the the uncanny X-Men really was forcing people to ask themselves, how would you feel if you were a mutant? Because you like these characters, you're getting to know them, they're good kids, they're superheroes, they're doing good. And yeah, they fight bad guys like Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. But I mean, once they start bringing the Sentinels in and you're looking at, you know, state sponsored genocide, that makes some people look a little inward and think, huh, huh. Oh, indeed. Uh, that being said, it is now time to move on to X-Men Uncanny X-Men number 141. This puppy is from January of 1980. My God. What do you think of the team we're about to look at? John Byrne and Chris Claremont. My, my favorite combination, I think, of X-Men creators. This is when the X-Men really start standing out as one of the better books to get crazy stories so much so that the recent avengers video game that came out about a year and a half ago basically stole the entire days of future past story and just avengers fight it it's also you know while it's not a a panel for panel adaption x-men days of future past is probably my favorite comic book movie your favorite comic book movie i I would go as far as say it's my favorite comic book movie on nostalgia alone wow well, we did maybe someday. We already did the uh, the MCU countdown. Maybe we'll rank every X Men movie someday. Oh, that would be that. that would be freaking good. That would get a little touchy of some of the stuff because all my favorite movies are a lot of people's least favorite X Men movies, and all the least popular X Men movies tend to be my favorites. Can we see? Can we see if we can agree on the worst right now? Is that possible? Uh, Let's one, two, three, and say what you think is the worst. Okay, one, three, three, two. two. Uh, okay. One. Dark Phoenix. 
<laughs> All right, yeah. cool. We're on the same yeah. page. So that, yeah, that gives us that. a basis. All right, I, think, just like I, our, uh, I think we also know number one. <laughs> um, well, I know you're number one. I have to think about it, my number one. Well, yeah. I assume well, it's of Future Past. You well, said I mean, it's your I, favorite. I, I would say it's time. my favorite, but I would say what's better than that is Logan. Okay, yeah. I, I, yeah. I probably can't really. I mean, if yeah, if we're including... Yeah, I mean, if we're including Deadpool movies and Logan and all that stuff, that that does make it a it makes it tricky. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I would, it would be hard to argue not to put to not to put Logan at number one. I, yeah. I would agree on that. For sure. Everything else in the middle is where it gets real touchy. But regardless, this is the the origin of of this this tale that we've seen referenced all throughout uh, X Men history, and of course uh, in in that recent film as well, which I think they did a fairly good job, even though they just made up Kitty Pride's powers as being able to send her through time. But you know, whatever. Yeah, some weird shit. Uh, but moving on, this is Uncanny X Men number one. 141 and we start off in new york city but this is not our new york city this is not the new york city of 1980 this is the new york city of the dystopian future of 2013 <laughs> dun, dun, dun. 2013 I love, I love reading old books where the future was 10 years ago to me now and uh and then seeing how well i, I can't say how not dystopian it is it is i'm not going to get into to all that because you could you could definitely say we have it worse than they have it in days of future past in some ways right now but you know, we're just not going to go down that road but nonetheless we see a woman running well this woman well she's not kitty pride she's actually kate pride because when kitties grow up they become kates uh so kate pride is running around in 2013 and we we get a little get a bit of um so we get a little bit of information here that there are there are three classes of people basically in this future there are humans who are just regular old humans and um, they don't have powers or anything. And they're allowed to breed just like, just like we are now. Mostly uh, there are also a for anomalous. These are like uh, uh, people that have the, like a mutant gene or they've, they've been detected for a mutant gene, but they don't actually, you know, they don't actually show any powers. So they're like, they're allowed to live in society, but they're not allowed to breed because we can't have that. And of course the worst and the lowest class is the mutants M for mutants. And, uh, they are forbidden to breed and they basically have no rights. They just live in these camps that are run by the sentinels, uh, because in this version of the future, basically kind of what was about to happen and the debut of the Sentinels, which I, which is why I think that was a really good tie in is the Sentinels decide, you know, essentially to give a recap that, you know, they, they are activated to take care of the mutant problem uh, after what they're going to go back in the past to try to stop, which is the assassination of, of anti-mutant, but not Bolivar Trask. He's not like, uh, an outright racist guy. He's just kind of has concerns about the mutant issue. Um, Senator Robert Kelly and that his assassination is what leads to uh, the creation of the sent the reactivation of the Sentinels and uh, is what leads to them deciding, Oh, I know the best way for us to take care of the mutant problem is for us to take over the world and to kill all the, everybody with powers. So they not only kill like most of the X-Men, but they kill most of the heroes. Like they, there's a one scene where we see a grave that, that, you know, Katie, Kitty, Kate, uh, Kate pride is running past. And, uh, you know, we see like Ben Grimm, Johnny storm, uh, professor Xavier, uh, Scott Summers, Kurt Wagner, Nightcrawler. Of course they, they are all dead. Um, but you know, Kate here is, is on the way to go meet up with her, um, I guess her fellow remaining rebellious X-Men. She's like, she's allowed to live and do things as long as she follows the orders of the Sentinels basically. Um, but she is attacked by what are these guys? Isn't it kind of crazy that she's allowed to live in this Holocaust and even though she's a Jew, it is a, there's some irony there. Maybe that's why Maybe like, you guys okay. have had it rough. We, we've, <laughs> we've, we've changed our minds now. The Jews can live, but if you're a mutant, now you die. Yeah, as long as your boyfriend's Russian and made of steel, we'll let you live. Um, but yeah, she is accosted by. Oh, so they let the communists went. They let the communists live. Yeah, I think there. Okay. I think there is a hidden, hidden message here. Yeah, but she's attracked by these guys that are the called the rogues, which is basically they're basically any street punk you've seen in any like in any sort of like sci-fi or gang related movie. Mohawks, uh, vests, uh, some fancy necklaces, the whole deal. But she is saved by her good buddy and ours, 
Wolverine, future Wolverine, which basically looks exactly the same as, as regular Wolverine. Um, but maybe with a, a little gray hair. A little more yeah. gray. Just, yes, exactly. Just so we know that the time has passed here. Uh, she helps, he helps her, uh, you know, defeat the rogues and then she moves on because she has to be back at this camp because she was on some supply run. I don't know why the Sentinels can't get their own supplies. It's not really clear why she, why she had to do that, but uh, whatever. She's on this run and uh, she basically says like, they're, they're like, oh, human, you're or not human, mutant 187, you're behind schedule. She's like, well, I was attacked by the rogues and blah, blah, blah. I escaped. That caused a delay. And, and I guess they can scan her mind and see if she's telling the truth. And she is, because that is what happened. She just left out, you know, some of the details that she's also plotting uh, a revolution here. And this, this is where she walks by the grave where we see Johnny Storm, Ben Grimm, Charles Xavier, Scott Summers. If you look in the back, you can see Reed Richards. Uh, it's basically the, the entire Fantastic Four and all the, uh, the X-Men, except for the four that we will find out. Uh, still remain. So the four remaining X-Men after all this, that they basically live in this camp and are sort of trying to secretly organize a resistance are Kitty Pride, of course, now known as Kate Pride because she's old Wolverine storm and Colossus as well. We find out there is Franklin Richards and someone named Rachel. Now I don't think I'm almost positive. They don't actually tell us who Rachel is or that or what she is, but we do find this out later. Is, in, this is actually considered an unaccredited first appearance. But right, if you don't, don't consider it the first appearance, you're not wrong either. They just didn't they did they, they didn't intend this for this character to come back later when she did. Yeah, it's not even clear if this was intended to be Rachel Summers from the beginning, but this is a character that does come back as someone from the future who is the 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 child of um of Scott Summers and Jean Grey. So I I mean I, I think it's supposed to be the same character now, but it, ne- it wasn't necessarily meant to be then because you think they would have referenced it if it if it was meant to be. Um and but yeah, she is basically uh her her boyfriend is is Frankie Richards, who I don't think they are calling a mutant here yet either. That that controversy has been you know we don't need to go through that whole is Franklin a mutant or not cough, controversy cough, Jenny. Yes. Uh, but yeah, that's basically the resistance along with someone else. This old guy in a wheelchair, not Professor X. No, it's Magneto. Magneto, while he's not one of the X-Men, he is uh, living in this camp and he has uh, much like his uh, his old buddy, Charles. He is now the one in the wheelchair, interestingly enough. And uh, he is also um, just like everybody. You know, he's, he's, he's kind of part of this resistance and they go along with their plan here. Basically, the plan. Rachel's super powerful. She has like psionic powers and uh, Franklin super smart. He also built this machine and between the machine and Rachel's powers, they are going to say and send Kate pride's mind back into the past, into the body of kitty pride, just like they do. So basically in the, in the days of future past movie, they do this with Wolverine and, and it's, it's kind of reversed. It's Kate's powers, which they just make up out of nowhere that send uh, Wolverine back in his younger body, which I really did enjoy. Uh, I did enjoy for, I think it worked for, for that movie. Cause yeah, we need more Logan. Let's be honest. We need yeah. more Hugh Jackman. Um, so of course they're going to lean on that character and he, he was the, the best one to do it. I think it, it made most sense for the movies. Totally. Yeah. But in this version, it's, it's Kitty Pride, And, uh, you know, we show up. Uh, so now we go back into the past into October 31st, 1980. Now, this is something that always drives me crazy about fixing things in the past type stories. They're going to October 31st, 1980, which is the day. It's the day that Robert that Senator Robert Kelly is assassinated, which leads to this whole dystopian future. So why do they go to the day? <laughs> like, why do they make it last minute? Why not go? I don't know. A week earlier. I don't know. Five years earlier. Like, why does it have to be the last minute? So we have to rush to like convince everybody that you're really this person from the future. Uh, I, I just don't get why they do that. Except for, of course, comics. The reason, the re- because comics and because storytelling and they want some, some sense of urgency here. <laughs> they, they, wanna, they don't want to give us five years of Kitty Pride. You know, it's like, let's go back to when the assassin was a baby and kill the baby. 
right or yeah just like yeah exactly or kill like misty yeah and, and then they were getting to like kill baby hitler type of type of morality stuff so i don't know kill baby boulevard trask <laughs> yeah the x-men are doing uh <laughs> the x may as well just go to the beginning and kill kill uh kill magneto or whatever or, you know then there would never be a brotherhood of evil mutants there's a lot of murder going on <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. It really is. Uh, it's time travel. It's comics. It's tough. Uh, but yeah, we're in the danger room as we pretty much always are in uh, in this era of the X Men. I don't think there's a single issue of the X Men or storyline anyway that doesn't start with them in the danger room or something happening in the danger room. And uh, Kitty shows up and she kind of gets a little overwhelmed at first, uh, and uh, but eventually she does is able to phase out and uh, defeat this uh, this like version of the danger room that I guess was like specifically designed for her. Um, so yeah, they're all, the X-Men are all kind of laughing and, and, uh, and oh, by the way, this version of the X-Men I should point out is, is different than the, uh, you know, the one that we, uh, discussed earlier. Cause this is you know, 15 years later in real life. So this version still angel, he's still angel. He's so even 15 years later, he's still not trans archangel. I don't think happens to like the eighties, uh, when, when apocalypse creates the four horsemen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this one is angel storm, new edition, um, Colossus Wolverine Nightcrawler and Kitty Pride. I believe that is the entirety of this current version of the X-Men. Ah, uh, yeah. So, so uh, the danger room stuff happens, and then um, as they're all yucking up and, and laughing about the fact that Kitty Pride was able to defeat this, you know, thing that Professor A, uh, Professor X, Professor AIDS, <laughs> Professor X made for her. That villain definitely <laughs> comes in the eighties. <laughs> if we ever finally start SBC publications, uh, I think we need a villain named Professor AIDS. He fell into a secret monkey vat at the CIA facility, and now he hates everyone. This should get us canceled to nothing else, right? Professor AIDS? His power is just to give people AIDS? <laughs> you know, actually, DC Comics should have been canceled because for one of their series, they actually created a flamboyantly gay Argentinian guy whose name I can't remember. And, <laughs> he, and he accidentally uh, gives someone a hug and both him and the guy he hugged die from AIDS. And that ends the entire series. <laughs> Oh, so they already made Professor AIDS. They just didn't Basically, call him that. yeah. I mean, he was way <laughs> right. more flamboyant. It's like if you had a Latino Carson Kresley who's like, we beat everyone. I'm going to go ahead and hug this guy over here. And then they're like, hey, where'd he go? And it's like, oh, him and the guy he hugged died of AIDS. The end. 
All right. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll look at that one someday. Um, but now Kitty, she gets she kind of like passes out. AIDS superhero. Yes, I'll figure I, it out. I, I, I know yeah, a lot he, of people are just like he made that shit up. I promise you, I'm not. That I kind of think he did too. So I'm gonna. I'm I am gonna not require that creative. I will well. absolutely find it. If you did make that up, then we should definitely start, start our own uh, publishing line. With ideas AIDS. like that, with million dollar ideas like that. Uh, yeah, but now uh, Kitty basically like passes out, and we see some some weird stuff happening with her. Everybody's concerned. Uh, they they wonder if she like had a stroke or like whatever. They don't really know what happened to her. Uh, so they take her in for examination because they're all freaking medical experts apparently. And uh, as she's uh, laying there, she starts to wake up. It starts to come too. She says, "Kurt, Kurt, oh my God, Kurt, it's really you. It's you're alive." And she's all excited, and she's like, "Yeah, well, of course I'm alive. Like, why the hell wouldn't I be alive?" And she's also like, "So obviously this is now Kate from the future in the body of Kitty from the." So what's going on with regular Kitty's mind now? <laughs> like, is her mind just, is she trapped in there? Is she watching what's going on? Is, is her mind shut down? These are the kind of, these are the kind of questions I have. About, I don't want to uh, jump into this, into this ethical conundrum. Maybe we should, you know, if we're not going to break down the ethics of this, who is? Well, I mean, remember in, in the movie days of future past when future Wolverine gets kicked out of old Wolverine's of young, well, young Wolverine's body. Yeah, did like the healing like, power start to kick in. So it was trying to like push him out. Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. So that happened. Well, I mean, they, they, they do something to basically cut the tether between the future and the past. So when like past Wolverine wakes up, it's like he's just taking a nap the whole time. He's like, where am I? Who are you? The, who are you people? Right. He has no clue what happened. Yeah, so I guess uh well, I guess we'll find out some other day. Oh no, we won't. But no. <laughs> we just know she comes back. I don't think they ever discuss like, hey, here's what I was she's doing the whole fine. time. She's in uh where was Agent Colson when he died in the movies? He's in she's in Tahiti. She's, she's in, in some place. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and she's like kitten, and Storm calls her kitten. She's like kitten. It's been years since she called me that. So she's trying to convince them basically that she really is from the future, and um, you know she's not. She's not just hallucinating. She doesn't have a concussion, and she starts telling this whole story about basically the whole thing uh, that in 1980 the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, who are no longer run by Magneto, I think. I don't know if Magneto is good here or if he's just out of the picture at this point. Um, no, I think he had just actually, he just came back because we actually read some episodes, uh, read some episodes, <laughs> read some issues like the, 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 the earlier issues that Eric had us do were, uh, did show us the return of Magneto, I think. Cause that was after he had been a baby <laughs> and all this other stuff. Shit. Yeah, that was some weird stuff. So he's around still, but he's, I guess he's not leading the, the brotherhood anymore. That is led by uh, mystique as we shall see. But she explains that Senator Senator Kelly, Senator Kelly's assassination sets in motion a sequence of events that 30 years from now will culminate in the destruction of the world in a nuclear holocaust. So basically, yeah, I forget exactly why um, I kind of glossed over it. But whatever the Sentinels are doing in the end of the day, like these other world powers, they just decide the only way to to stop the Sentinels is to send all our nukes. And blow up the whole world. So, so that, that's their solution it. to that. So that's what prompted them to do this whole time travel thing. It's not just the Sentinels and the dystopian future, but the fact that this is all going to lead uh, to nuclear annihilation for for everybody, basically. Nice. Um, yeah. So they decide to go to Washington uh, because that's where Professor X currently is. And Storm saying, "Oh well, Professor X can then telepathically mind scan you to determine your bona fides far more effectively than any of us could." So the, Professor X is going to determine. Is this really real or not? Or is she just lost her shit? Uh, but she continues to tell the whole story. Um, you know, after Senator Kelly's assassination, there was a huge uh, backlash uh, in 1984. A rabid anti-mutant mutant candidate was elected president. They don't name this candidate. 
Um, within a year, they passed the Mutant Control Act. The Supreme Court, God bless them, struck it down as unconstitutional. But as we know, that shit doesn't matter. So uh, immediately, the Sentinels were activated anyway, and they just usurped the Constitution, took control of the country, killed everyone, not just mutants, not just heroes. I, it's not really clear why the, the four remaining mutants weren't killed, why they were allowed to live, I guess, because they're commies and Jews. <laughs> and and both, they're all some kind of minority, I guess is the, the only possible explanation. But I mean, they kill everybody here. They show like the all the dead heroes faces it's like captain america it's incredible hulk dr doom i mean even the villains everyone gets taken out uh by the sentinels in their in their quest to uh, to fulfill their mission kind of ultron style they really are just ultron basically is, is what they're giant giant dumber ultrons is what the sentinels are yeah <laughs> um yeah so um yeah kate is like still telling her story here because she's getting all choked up and the x-men are like all right come on she's gonna finish this fucking story here um but yeah in the end uh we also then uh head back to the dystopian future of 2013 where we see the these x-men trying to escape uh with kate's body okay because one thing they had to do so franklin had to they all have these these, like dampeners that stop their powers from working so in order to actually do this excuse me in order to actually do this, they had to like, um, you know, jam that adapter or some, some kind of science techie stuff. Uh, so once that happened, that alerted the Sentinels and now the Sentinels are of course after them. So they're trying to, uh, escape this Sentinel ca- camp, um, while just trying to hold out long enough for Kitty to, to do what she has to do in the past. And at this point, my Marvel app is not loading the pages anymore. So I'm not really sure what happens next, but I can go on my notes cause I took notes awesome um yeah but in the end here like wolverine also like i I think i said this earlier like even though even though they're doing all these tests and everything wolverine has his like you know his wolverine sense and can smell that she's telling the truth (laughs) i don't don't know exactly how that smell a liar i'm not sure exactly uh exactly how that makes sense um so then, yeah, in the present, we get to see that uh, the Brotherhood... Oh, yeah, in the future, I, I should say, Franklin gets killed there uh, in the future as well. Um, so these guys are starting to uh, to drop, like, flies while... I guess they have to, like, keep Kitty's... Yeah, I guess they have to Kate, keep Kate's body alive so that she can keep doing what she's doing in the past. It's confusing how this whole time thing works. You'd think you have all the time because she's in the past now. Or wouldn't it immediately change once she was sent to the past if she was successful? But whatever. Time travel, because comics, we're going to let it go. Uh, yeah, back in that. the present, back in the present, we see that the, the, the brotherhood of evil mutants is plotting, plotting this little thing they're going to do. And this version of the evil mutants, let's, let's see what we can throw at Remzo here. We've got mystique. We've got destiny. Who's only power is to like see the future, <laughs> uh, avalanche pyro and the last, the actually only, only carried over a member from the original brotherhood of evil mutants blob. Why don't we try this Remzo? What can you tell me about Blob? Blob is fat. <laughs> That's correct. I wish there was correct. more, but I mean, they really don't. They really don't flush him out much. <laughs> yeah, and I think his power is like something like if you if you punch him or something, he absorbs it and gets stronger. Is one of those kind of things. So, yeah. So, I mean, what, what's funny is like his, his power isn't being big. Like that's not his power. His, his power is that he can control his own body density. So he's actually on par with like, you know, big juggernaut type characters, not just the juggernaut, but like Rhino, Rhino, others like he, he's not he's not just the fat guy. Like he's actually pretty formidable. Yeah. We also have Pyro who controls living flame. Yeah. But basically they are they are plotting to do exactly what uh, Kitty Pride or Kate Pride was uh, warning about. 
which is kill Senator Kelly because it's the day of this big hearing. Again, we have another big hearing here where Senator Kelly is kind of um, laying out his concern of the mutant issue. He's like, you know, one of the, the biggest threats of our generation is the appearance of the homo superior, the mutants, flesh of our blood, blood of our blood, yet possessing powers and abilities, which set them apart. I've never really understood this, why it was, well, I guess in Marvel now, like Spider-Man was kind of an outcast too, but like, why is it only bad to have powers if you're born with them? That, that That's the thing I always get. Don't get like there's all these other heroes that are totally, uh, to, you know, re- revered and seen as great. But if you're born with the powers, well, no, now, now we, now we're upset with you. Do you have any theories here, Remzo, other than because comics? So the, the Marvel, what was it? Um, yeah, it was Marvels by Alex Ross that we covered mm, way yes. yonder back. They, they do kind of talk about that. And, and it's not that they were, they just had complete double standards because they were, they, they they did show animosity towards the Fantastic Four. They did show animosity towards Spider-Man. Where it changes is when Captain America comes on the scene, and Captain America is the one that really normalizes it. And you also have Tony Stark, who's running this giant PR campaign to get people to accept the Avengers, which also gets a little bit harsher when the original Avengers roster leaves. And then you have Clint Barton, Hawkeye, who's a reformed criminal. And then you have have, you know, Pietro and Wanda Maximoff, Magneto's kids who joined the roster. And it was really Captain America. Captain America doesn't get enough credit, but Captain America probably did more to normalize like regular people, superhero relations than anyone outside of like Reed Richards and Professor X. He doesn't get a lot of credit for that in the books, but a lot of the big writers and the big stories do credit Captain America with doing that. So then because people don't want to go after Captain America, then they really try and just come down with the, well, you know, you got your powers later, but you're still loyal to humanity. But the mutants, the mutants are different because they've never been human. They're not human. They were born mm. with their powers. So you're a different, you're, they're a different species, I guess is the, yeah. is the idea they're, treated as human right okay. well regardless now uh senator kelly you know he's not he like i said he's not really a ball over trask he's just kind of he's concerned all right you know it's like he even says like in a world of beings like dr doom magneto the fantastic four the avengers he, i mean so he's, he's referencing all this he says there's there's any there's well, how many others there's any place for ordinary men and women he's, he's just saying so but but again like that kind of like goes to my point he's, he's pointing out all these other powered heroes so why the focus on just the mutants but whatever racism is the real reason uh Didn't so Paul as well in 1960s corollary to uh, the times, you might say. Uh, so during this hearing, though, there's an explosion. And who appears? It is the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants led by Mystique. You would think that they would go a little more subtle and just use Mystique's powers to just sneak into this hearing and just kill him instead of being uh, so blatant and just busting in. But, you know, then we wouldn't have as we wouldn't be able to get to the the battle scene that is going to take up a lot of the next issue, because at the same time, we see. The Fantastic Four. I'm the Fantastic Four. What am I talking about? The X-Men show up. Uh, so that as, as this issue ends, as we wrap up Uncanny X-Men number 141. So what do you think of the first half of this iconic story, Days of Future Past? I, I love it. I mean, it, this is just one of my favorite stories. It makes me so much more offended with the fact that um, the Avengers video game so heinously took so many great components from this storyline and tried to make it their own and it's just like you know you can't you can't redo the classics even though the movie took a lot of liberties with it they didn't pretend to be a panel by panel version of the comic they did it in a way which made sense for you know for a cinema audience and with the continuity or lack of continuity in the x-men movie so i mean you know just this is just some good old classic x-men i love it indeedy so 
That being said, we will now move on to Uncanny X-Men number 142. And this is a very iconic cover. I guess even, I don't know, I think 144 might actually be a more iconic cover. That's the one with uh, Wolverine and, and Kate Pride in the future with like all those, you know, wanted photos of the X-Men behind them. But this one is uh, the uh, the cover where uh, Wolverine is just getting blasted by uh, the Sentinel. And it says, uh, I, I kind of enjoy when Marvel would do this back in the day that they would spoil exactly what happens in the issue on the cover. <laughs> they say in this issue, everyone dies, which is both true. Well, it is true in a sense. So we will see exactly why that is. All right. Now we are at uh, X-Men number 142 at the conclusion. You know, one thing I like about this, Remzo, I think I feel like if this story took place today in modern Marvel, this would be a six issue limited series with 42, you know, crossovers that you had to buy and then 80, 87 more spinoffs. This is just two issues. And you really, you know, you don't need more than this. It's it's a, it's a succinct story. They, they haven't even revealed which character is secretly gay. Yeah, we haven't even, we haven't even gotten to that yet. We haven't seen any <laughs> throuples yet. We we're not, you know, there's so much so much to reveal here. Yeah, I mean, I, there was something to say about the simplicity of of things. You know, back in the day, this is my back in the day moment for right now, where we don't need to spend. Not only, I mean, not only that. I mean, the cover prices. Let's see if they have it. Yeah. <laughs> And this is going to crush your soul. Remzo, what do you think was the cover price of X-Men Uncanny X-Men number 142? 75 cents. 50 cents. 50 cents. 50. I mean, even cents. even even when you take inflation out of it, like, you know, Alan Moore actually talks about it. Alan Moore doesn't like the modern. His prices are getting out of control, mate. <laughs> I, I always mean, make him he, half that, Australian. That, that, that's basically, <laughs> I mean, uh, in, in an unironic way, that's basically what he said. It's like, you know, comic books yeah. used to be entertainment for blue collar and working people. And right. now they've gotten just so astronomically expensive that they're not even accessible, easy entertainment for most people. Like I, it's just that it, it's very true. Like it's very true. Like, you know, that that's the issue with making it like, you know, le- less of a less of its own thing and more of just merchandise for the movies these days. It's really sad. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, you could like so for a dollar, you can read this whole story, you know, in, in 1980. If this were today, like, you know how they do things. This, you'd have to spend you'd be in triple digits if you wanted to, if you wanted to like get a whole story. Like this. I was going through not only all my comic books and stuff, but I was going through a lot of my old posters and I have a large like floor to ceiling poster I got from one of the comic shops in my hometown that shows all the DC heroes standing in like a classic lineup from 2011. And it says drawing the line at two ninety nine. <laughs> what year was that? That was 2011. It was because that was when Marvel <laughs> basically just said all our Liars. books going forward are going to be three ninety nine, And DC was like, well, we're going to hold the line two ninety nine, And that fucking died fast. <laughs> yeah. That, that line was held together by, by silly string. I think it was not, it's not much of a line there at all how long did it last till dc went to 399 like oh like like a, like a year because as soon as the new 52 came out it's like well these are giant bonus issues and all you get all mm-hmm. this extra stuff and then it was yeah. like they kept the price and the page count went down and it was like nightwing number four special anniversary issue gotta, gotta jack the price up on that yeah the iconic fourth issue. Uh, anyway, uh, moving on to X-Men number 142 for the low, low price of 50 cents in 1980. It will cost you a lot more uh, than that now if you want an original copy. That, that, that's for sure. Because uh, these, uh, yeah, these were not in, in, in they were printed heavily, I, I think. But compared to today, I mean, you know, it, it's, 
there's no, there's never going to be a rarity. I think of modern comics, the way that there was for comics at this point, because this is still the point where people didn't really know. Maybe it was starting in 1980, but people didn't really know how, just how, you know, how, yeah, your local seven 11 is only getting like 10 copies for the whole yeah, town. Exactly. But yeah, so we do, we start off here um, with the confrontation between the, uh, the modern day, um, well, modern day, the 1980s X-Men and brotherhood of evil mutants. And this whole, issue is kind of contrasted back and forth with with what's going on in the future uh, with the Sentinels uh, chasing down and trying to exterminate the the last remaining X-Men rebels. It does still, does still kind of bother me. Like, why did they why did they kill everybody except these like five people? It just doesn't make sense. Maybe they just wanted a few tokens or maybe it's just that classic sort of, you know, villain serial killer thing where they they like subconsciously kind of want to be caught. So they always leave like some little tiny way where you could defeat them and then they'll give you. I mean, that that's the only thing i can think maybe that even applies to to robot you still got a series to write indeed so we i mean we get a pretty kind of drawn out very i would say called a very classic uh, x-men battle between the uh this new version of the brotherhood of evil mutants and uh and the x-men here and i there's a few highlights do what do you think of nightcrawler's uh sort of like disappear and punch powers does this impress you at all how you you know he'll appear thirty times to land like a million punches that no one can def- defend from. I mean, I, I always thought that they kind of watered him down to make him look cooler than he actually is in in these early issues. It's kind of like with uh, with Colossus years later. It's always like, oh, Colossus is this big guy. He's so hard to take down, but he's also one of the first people to get knocked down in a fight. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh no, they got Colossus. Now it's up to the B team to save everyone. It's like, come on. Yeah, it does. They do try to kind of do that. They always kind of try to cordon up the ones that are more obviously powered so they can highlight the ones that their powers aren't really like, like, you know, Nightcrawler is punching this guy and he's in the face. Avalanche, I think. Avalanche has this like metal helmet on and Nightcrawler's not supposed to have super powered punches. He just can do this fast. But isn't he punching a helmet? Shouldn't that hurt? <laughs> Nightcrawler should take Avalanche, teleport like 50 feet in the air and drop him. <laughs> I do kind of like, I'm not going to I kind of like how they use Destiny here, who pretty much does seem like a lame character, but she she predicts where Nightcrawler is going to appear next, which lets a- a- Avalanche punch him in the gut. I had to kind of like that. Um, we also see... Oh, good job walking exposition. We also see Pyro creating this living flame uh, against Colossus, and he's like, hey, can I wonder, can your metal melt? And Colossus is thinking to himself, I do not know. I do not intend to find out. I'm like, that's probably something you should know <laughs> considering how many battles you go into fighting things with flames and lasers and things you might you might want to have some idea about he that. survived the soviet union i don't think fire is going to be what takes him down finally yeah there i, I think the most interesting thread from uh this battle and from the the parallels between the you know the past and the present is the the sort of dynamic between wolverine and storm because you know here wolverine is about to just go straight up kill pyro like he's got his claws out he's he's, he's gonna go take take care of him and storm is like no don't and so this is like there's always these multiple battles going on because not only do the x-men have actual villains to fight they always have to end up fighting like wolverine too because he just wants to go kill everyone and they don't want to let him kill everyone so it's like there's the battle and there's the battle within the battle where storm has to whisk wolverine away for to stop him from just maniacally uh killing pyro here and later we'll see how this contrasts with uh wolverine uh and storm in the in the future here uh but meanwhile like mora is also trying to get uh professor x out this is way before we find out that mora is a, a mutant whose power is to live her lives over and over and over uh into Gosh, eternity damn it mark we don't talk about that <laughs> yeah we don't talk about hickman mora um, but uh, there they find the security guard who's going to help them out. But guess what? That security guard is Mystique. So so why didn't secu- Mystique turn into the security guard and just kill Senator Kelly as the security guard? Wouldn't that be easier than busting down the door and bringing all this attention? 
Be- because we still have all these pages left. Because we have like 18 pages left. Exactly. That's why. Uh, yeah. So now we kind of, uh, uh, yeah. So uh, Mystique as well as Destiny have sort of uh, have, have captured Professor X and Mora as they try to escape. Uh, meanwhile, we head back to the future where um, where they are. You know, oh yeah, we get another recap here too for anybody that just tuned into last issue. And since we don't have the internet now, they they couldn't easily look up look that up. So that was definitely a lot more common. I, I think I, I will say the one thing I will say about Mar- modern Marvel, I do like that they do these recap pages so that we don't need to cram recaps unnecessarily into every issue because this is something that. DC Marvel used to do a lot and they do it. I mean, they, they send, they spend several pages here recapping everything that we learned last issue. So it's like, they're basically assuming you've never seen this before, which is understandable because they want to make it accessible to new readers. But it's like, man, if I'm, if I'm an, if I'm a regular reader, I'm like, I ju- you just told me, I, I know all this. I just read the last issue. So I, I do like that. Marvel just kind of does that and it's out of the way. And if you are new, you can catch up quickly and we don't need to waste actual story with the recap because either way we're going to get the recap. So if we, if we accept that we're going to get the recap, I'd rather get it at the beginning than like, taking up needless pages of story. Yeah. As Stan, as Stanley would say, every comic is somebody's first comic. So you might as well make it accessible. Yeah. Which is fair. Um, anyway, they're battling in the future and, um, you know, it's, it's basically down to, uh, Wolverine storm, uh, and Cyclops. And, uh, let's see, we, we, um, we see this dynamic here where, uh, yeah, future storm is actually this interesting scene. Storm in the future is willing to kill. Like she's, she's kind of like, become what her past version that we're seeing is not like she's she and i thought that was like kind of just an interesting uh contrast uh whereas and wolverine is more like slightly more calm you know now that now that he's he's a little less ferocious now that he's older so i thought there was a just sort of an interesting dynamic that they show that they show paralleling it between the future and the past um did that stand out to you at all um yeah i mean this is parallel storytelling in a way which is really supposed to indicate like characters change um i mean when you go from like uncanny x-men issue one to see how the roster and how people develop over time uh through through this part of the series i mean the x i would say the x-men spider-man the fantastic four you actually see them change as people over the years in ways that you might not see if like batman superman others um you know across publications so i mean i kind of like seeing the fact they even recognize in this own story that yeah people can drastically change yeah, well, speaking of, we go back to uh, the present or 1980, uh, where this battle is continuing. Uh, we have it's interesting because Pyro doesn't just shoot flames in this. He creates fire monsters that then seem to have their own sentience, which is frankly like the, the scariest power of anybody. You can create a whole uh, fire monster that will then uh, do your bidding and, and wreak its own havoc. Did you ever play the uh, X-Men Legends video game on Xbox? I did not. Oh, my gosh. He was one of the hardest bosses to fight. Oh, Pyro? Yeah, I mean, he should be with, with this power. Did, did he do the same thing in there? Did he have the, could he create? Yeah, the... he, he, like his little, like, like the little guys you fight are all his uh, fire monsters. Interesting. Scary. Yeah. So he'll fight you and then you have to fight like 20 of those things and they all have their own health bar. It was a, it was a bitch and a half. Yeah. Well, during this battle, once again, we see Storm again, stopping Wolverine from killing. So they do kind of keep showing this, this contrast of how every, you know, all these events of the last several decades have changed uh, the storm of the future to sort of be more like what she was trying to stop Wolverine from being earlier. So I, I did really enjoy that sort of the character, uh, character contrast uh, throughout. Um, but they do end up taking out the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants one by one until it comes down to two Nightcrawlers fighting each other because I think they don't even know who Mystique is because she's like, he's like, oh, one of them must be a shapeshifter. So I think Mystique had appeared before, but maybe they didn't really know who she was or 
didn't know what was going on there because they seemed pretty confused by this uh, shape-shifting thing. But eventually they realized that, uh, you know, that there was a shape-shifter involved here. And um, yeah, back to the future. Back to the future, we see that now they're they're starting to get taken off one by one as the Sentinels catch up and finally start taking out the X-Men of the future. We see Wolverine die. Uh, we see Storm and Colossus die. Now it is just down. The only two left in the future are Rachel and Kate. And I guess still, for some reason, Rachel needs to keep Kate alive to let her do this. It's almost like there there's real time happening from the time that Kitty was sent back, if that makes sense. So as much time as Kitty spends in the, in the past is how much time they need to keep Kate alive in the future. They don't explain this. This is just, this is just me trying to extrapolate what, why this might make any sense at all. Man, um, <laughs> I miss back to the future logic. Oh, back to the future is the best, the best time travel logic there is. I would say, Although I don't mind Avengers Endgame time travel either. Uh, but that's a story for another day. We can do the, uh, the, fi- the top five uh, time travel uh, concepts. That, yeah, that's a whole other thing right there. Yeah. Uh, but eventually they do figure out that uh, one Nightcrawler is not Nightcrawler. It is Mystique. Um, and they defeat her. But wait, there's somebody missing after we see some, you know, Storm and et cetera and Colossus die in the future. Uh, it turns out this stupid character, Destiny, is the one that is poised to uh, kill Senator Robert Kelly. But I think because so here's the here's how I think this is supposed to make sense. Destiny can see the future and figure things out. But Kitty Pride is this anomaly because she's from the future. So she can't see the things she's doing in this past from the future. I don't know. Whatever. Just roll with it. Okay. And um, and yeah, basically Kitty is the one to show up and stop Destiny who is really a weird looking lame character uh, from killing Senator Robert Kelly. And this like dart that destiny was trying to shoot at at Senator Kelly misses him. And the second that this thing misses, um, we see Kate going or Kitty falling back again. we see that same like, you know, spiral around her as she falls over and she is just returned to regular old, regular old Kitty pride from the past. And so, yeah, it's, all, all seems to have worked out in the future. Uh, we do see Ms. Mystique is kind of escaping. She has turned herself into like a different looking human. So she's getting away. So uh, we'll see what happens with her in the future as the X-Men leave on the old Quinjet chatted up with Charles. And um, the last thing we hear from the X-Men, you know, they're, they're kind of recapping everything. And, and Angel's like, so does this mean we change the future? And uh, Professor X says, I did not know Warren. Cliche though it sounds, yes it does. Uh, only time will tell. At least, at least Chris Claremont and John Byrne recognize their own cliches and, and let us know about them. But we do get a little ep- epilogue here. Interestingly enough, now in this epilogue we see Senator Kelly uh, meeting with someone else and uh, and someone else. So we we see he's meeting. He's introducing uh, Sebastian Shaw to somebody. Now Sebastian Shaw, we saw. I think we saw him the last time we read one of these uh, Eric Uncanny X Men series. He was part of the the Hellfire Club that was trying to you know bring the Phoenix force into Jean gray, yada, 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 and all that stuff. And they are introducing them to someone else. I think this is his first appearance. I'm not sure I could be wrong, but they introduced him to Henry Peter Gyrick and this program called project wide awake. I don't usually wrap up a show like this Remzo, but what can you tell me about Henry Peter Gyrick? Henry Peter Gyrick. He, he's, I don't want to say he's like a Nick Fury type, but he he's basically a, a government goon. He he he's like he, here's why I don't respect him, Mark. Henry Peter Geirich is just a bureaucrat. He's neither a good guy or a bad guy. He's just a guy that inconveniences everybody. And I don't remember what the project was. I just know that if he's involved, it's going to be something fucking stupid. Future, it'll be stupid and um, and evil. I don't what, respect what bureaucrats. No, no, I, I do not either. Uh, that being said, that wraps up our look 
at Uncanny X-Men number 141 and 42. Now, it's it's kind of hard to ju- I think we almost have to grade these separately. Uh, the Uncanny X-Men number 14 and the this Days of Future Past story. So why don't we do that? You want to give it a shot? Why don't you, uh, why don't you, why don't you see what we can do here? Grade however you like. Ah, oh, man. I'm going to have to give that issue 14. And remember, I'm grading them based on the standards at the time. Yeah, you got to have a curve um, here. I'm going to give I'm going to give that issue 14. I'm going to give it an eight for a story and an eight for art just because it, 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 it's a, it's a big moment in which you have the first introduction of the Sentinels and you get a lot of this other, you know, a political sub narrative involved in there. And you also just I mean, J- Jack Kirby art is is just always phenomenal. Um, and then for 141, 142, I'm going to give them. You know, an, an eight for a story and an eight for art, too, because it's just it's good. It was even good by the time with Claremont and others involved. I think uh, I, I think a lot of stuff is just kind of there. I think, um, you know, it, I, I feel so weird about the story, Mark, because there are very few films where I will say they're better than the comics they were adapted by. I often say this with uh, Mark Millar's Civil War and Captain America Civil War. I think Captain America Civil War is better than the source material. And I'll even go as far as to say, like, you know, X-Men Days of Future Past the movie simplified a lot of things, leaned into a smaller cast of characters and was able to put in more depth and story. Whereas this one, they, they want to do a bunch of things with it, but a lot gets kind of lost panel by panel. So, I mean, it's good. It's not great. I think eight for story, uh, eight. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Four. I'm sorry. I just fucked up the whole grading system. It's been a while, Mark. Four for story, <laughs> four for art. I'm giving it an eight out of 10. So that would also have given, um, get, given issue 14, four for art four for story eight, eight out of ten for that as well no i'm gonna make this pretty simple remzo i think i'm just gonna completely agree with you because it is it is a little more hard to judge like okay if for the times it's freaking jack kirby you know so i'm i'm giving the 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 60s curve the, the kirby's curve and you know it's 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 about the best art you're getting at the time but it's still gonna get it a four i'm not gonna give it a five or anything but yeah i i will give a four for the writing and a four for art on that as well as for days of future past i i'm just gonna give it the same i i i I think it's very good, but it's not, you know, this is not all timer. I think it, I think it's kind of one of those stories that the legend may be a little bigger than the story itself. I mean, it goes pretty quick. It's not that intensive. It's, it is mostly battle scenes, you know, out of the future or in the present. Um, so it's not really story intensive, but it's, it's, but I like that too. You know, that's part of the qualities. It, it, it's just a banger. You know, we're, we're in, we're out. We didn't need six, six issues. We didn't need 22 crossovers. Um, but yeah, I think a four for the story and a four for art is, is pretty there, pretty fair there as well. So we'll, we'll just give this whole thing in SBC 16. That seems, that seems to be the easiest way to, to sell this out. Yeah. You need to you need to read it, folks, especially if you're X-Men fans. You can't go far without Days of Future Past and the Origin of the Sentinels. It's required reading. Indeed. Well, uh, that being said, you know, we've had a little bit of a, you know, like I said, a format switch these these few weeks. Um, so interestingly enough, you're going to we're going to do back to backs next week. We're going to have our other Kirby Club member. Jeffrey is going to be sending us down on a mission of his own. So stay tuned to find out what's going on with that. Remzo. Any last notes before we wrap up? Folks, remember, you can get early commercial-free episodes, bonus content, and so much more when you support the show for as little as $5 a month. Five smackers here and there gets you so much more at patreon.com slash secondprintpod and follow us across the amazing internet, Instagram, Twitter, at secondprintpod. That's all she wrote. That is all she wrote. With that being said, we only have one more thing to write say yeah. whatever it's been a while Remzo yelling and that out is, of loud course, and proud read, to read comics and change, and change the, the world. world good night America adios
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.